Welcome back to the show, everybody. It's your host, John Scardina. I am so excited for this episode. I've been wanting to do this for a very long time. I had a, an amazing opportunity to ask one question. Yes, one question at the National Hurricane Conference to this gentleman that I'll introduce in a second. While I was there, we, we've had some really great people actually on the show from the National Hurricane Conference. And uh, we've, we've had this discussion about hurricanes and emergency management and weather and and the impacts in the future of weather and how it's going to impact our lives. And yet there was this presentation that I heard at the National uh, Hurricane Conference again that just blew me away uh, for lack of uh, you know puns, right? And so listening to this presentation and hearing, a, uh, hearing it from a weather perspective and the impacts of emergency management, I was like, this is a conversation we absolutely need to have on the show. And so I'm very honored and pleased to announce that we have director Ken Graham on the show from the National Weather Service. He had just moved into that role just a little while ago. He came from the National Hurricane uh, Center, which is uh, perfect for this conversation, and, and we're dealing with hurricane season right now. But he is, he is truly a, a leader that can help and understands our side of the house. So, again, it's great honor. Ken, welcome to the show. Oh, it's great to, great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. I'm, I'm excited about this. Yeah, so let's start with one of your most famous phrases, "little wiggles," and uh, I really I, there's a uh, there's like an Instagram uh, video going around, and he and the, it's a it's a song by and he goes jiggle jiggle, and every time I hear that, I hear wiggle wiggle. Uh, I don't know why, but um, tell us about little wiggles and what that means for emergency management. Yeah, I always talk about this. Little wiggles matter. And, and it's an important concept and you got to put it in a way that makes it kind of fun. And that's why, you know, coining it little wiggles is, was important. I mean, little changes in, in a storm. And I'm talking a, a hurricane. I'm talking uh, about a rainfall event. I'm talking about, you know, you think about a tornado event, anything. Little wiggles really matter. And, and you really look at the science, everything that, that I talked about at, that, at the National Hurricane Conference. And, and by the way, I had a whole slide deck at the National Hurricane Conference, and I was so impacted by seeing everybody there, uh, kind of, you know, after the, the the main poor part of the pandemic, everybody was there. I, I threw away that entire that entire PowerPoint and, and just talked because that's what I felt at the time. And small mm -hmm. changes, look, 20 miles difference in a hurricane can make the difference in 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 a few feet of storm surge or 10 to 15 feet of storm surge. 20 miles. Uh, you think about 20 miles can make the difference between getting uh, a little bit of rain, a couple inches, or feet of rain. So it's an important concept, especially after the event, when you look back at it, did it happen or not? Well, maybe it happened to you, maybe it didn't, but maybe you're only 20 miles away. You can't take your, a chance on a life uh, based on a little wiggle. And I think it's an important concept that we got to keep talking about. So thinking about the scale of these storms, 20 miles is so incredibly small. I remember being on a call with um, several federal agencies, including NASA, that was that used a satellite to capture essentially how much water or volume of water was in a, a given area to determine a best guess, if you, for lack of a better term, of how much water was going to fall on an area. In terms of predictive analysis, especially when 20 miles, when the storm system is hundreds of miles, can make that big of a difference. Obviously, weather in the last, what, 200 years has just grown exponentially in our understanding of how this, uh, how to do predictive analysis. For, for us layman people, 
right? The genius is across the room. Can you explain how predictive analysis works and can we rely on data in the past if weather and climate is changing so rapidly? Yeah, you know, a couple different aspects of that question and, and um, you know, really looking at it. First of all, you know, if you look at our predictions, you look at the um, how the models have improved, you look at um, our ability to, to make that forecast, it's, it's a, a marvel of science how far uh, meteorology has come over, over the last, I don't know, 50 years to century, but especially after la uh, the last 20 to 30 years because of computing power, our ability to predict has, has gotten just absolutely amazing. Uh, where, where it becomes difficult is down to those little wiggles. And, and if you think about, you know, I always talk about this all the time, you can't compare storms. It's really, um, it could be dangerous in some cases to compare storms. You really can't compare storms. They're all different. Every one of these storms are different because of that little wiggle factor. The 20 to 30 miles difference can make all the difference in the world to what you experience on the ground. So you can't go by those past storms. And, and I think it's an important factor. Every one of them has to be treated on, on based on the current risk. One thing that's a priority for me going forward is for the storm surge program, we use a probabilistic forecast. In other words, you can't take your chance on those little wiggles. So what we do is we build thousands of scenarios into this. We'll run four or 500 different hurricanes in, into the model, bigger, smaller, faster, slower, left, right, um, everything that we can, stronger, uh, weaker. You, you build all that in there because what happens is you're, you're really trying to get a decision made based on, on risking, your, risking your life or not. We don't want people to risk their lives. So we build those probabilities into the forecast. And what we call it is the reasonable worst case scenario based on science. So mm -hmm. what, what you see in that storm surge forecast is actually, it's pretty interesting. It's, it's a result of all of those different model runs and there's only a 10% chance of exceeding that value. In other words, it's a reasonable worst case scenario. And we're gonna try to do that for other parameters too. Precipitation, uh, you start looking at the, the future of warnings. What do those look like? Can we do something probabilistic there? And we don't wanna overcomplicate anything because we still want um, decisions when seconds count, but that's where we're headed. And, and it's interesting, the probabilistic, the blend forecast usually ends up being the, the best one over a deterministic forecast. Real quick, we're gonna pause for this week's Disaster Tough endorsements. How do you spell Doberman Emergency Management? EOP, OEP, HVA, HMP, Thyra, TTX, Drone, PDA. Whenever you need an expert, Doberman Emergency Management field experts are there for support. Contact an expert at DobermanEMG.com today. The L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio solves problems and is specifically designed for emergency services. How do we know? We field tested it with medical, urban search and rescue and collapse and confined structures. This radio is amazingly tough. Check out the L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio at L3Harris.com right now. Okay, let's jump back in. So we are um, we are looking at um, so, so, you know hurricane season right now. And for the sake of this audience, this was recorded a few weeks before this was aired. And so there's a hurricane, major hurricane, but time, but time the recording and, and the airing, you know, we apologize. But <clears throat> barring a, a major hurricane, we start hurricane season June 1st, and there are some obviously like notable hurricanes. I think Hurricane Andrew, if I'm if I'm not wrong, was in June, but a, a majority of, of hurricanes, like major, major hurricanes, I think mid-August through to October. That's like typically when I really think about it. 
And yet from an emergency management perspective, I'm, I'm hoping to get your advice on this. We do this big push late May, early June, hurricane season. And then we all forget about it. Everybody goes on vacation and uh, August happens. And it was just long enough for people to kind of relax a little bit. And then like the stuff like really hits. And so in my mind, I, I, I feel like we have like a soft start typically. And then we like have like the, the major, major stuff. How do we as emergency managers working with weather and, and, and as your experience, keep people's tempo high enough or situational awareness high enough where they don't get themselves hurt? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good point. And, and usually this question, it usually um, comes with, we, you know, we've had some of these preseason type of, of systems. Generally speaking, they're not the strongest. Um, they're, they're rainmakers. Um, we didn't have one this year. But, but your, your, the point is, is, is very important because the earlier you do that preparedness, the earlier you have the season, that, that's a distance between uh, when you get the peak of the hurricane season. If you're really thinking about all of this preparedness, we are preparing for when we typically see the peak. You, know, you start looking at mid-August through um, mid-October. You know, if you look at the graph of, of hurricanes and graph of tropical systems over the years, that's the peak. Uh, so that's what we're really preparing for. So we we do this push of preparedness before the actual hurricane season starts. And then typically you'll get a few early. But if you look historically uh, between mid-June and, and through mid-July or so into July, there's often a lull. That doesn't mean it can't happen. That doesn't mean it doesn't happen. But then there's a lull before you get the actual peak of the season. So that has to be another push. And I think I think we've, we've tried to use social media to say, hey, we're entering the, the peak of the season, get ready. Uh, and I think that's what really, we're, that's what the most impact, the highest risk is, is during the peak of the season. And that's why we have to get ready for that. The other factor real quick is the, the, you know, if you have a season that starts too early as well, you start to actually start interfering with the severe weather season as well. We still have tornadoes. We're still dealing with other parameters when it comes to the weather. And we're already starting to, to talk about hurricanes. So. Um, for, for emergency managers, you know, it really is this, you know, you have that early push, it's good. Use the beginning of the season as an excuse to really, you know, push out that preparedness information. It's the first, it's a great excuse to, to, to be able to do those exercises and everything. But I, I think a second push is necessary. You start getting into July. I think it's a, it's a time saying, hey, we're, we're getting into the peak of the season. Uh, don't forget, that's when the, the risk is highest. And I think that's something we got to push more. I, I, I think that would be a great thing to come from all of us, actually. Well, that's one of the reasons why uh, just in planning this episode, we were like, hey, let's do this the first week of August, because, you know, we've had some other people, you know, from a weather background or from uh, that perspective. But I mean, just being honest, your name, your your position holds such a weight that we know people are going to pay attention. And we hope that as it's another push for knowledge and information and situational awareness. I like the, I like the idea of peak using that term. Hey, you're still climbing the mountain. This is the peak. Um, this is where, when like where rubber meets the road stuff, preparedness stuff should be complete by then. You shouldn't be preparing in a response. Um, but yet you should be gearing up for the likelihood of response. I mean, uh, I can't, I can't think of a year in the last maybe decade where there wasn't a, a major storm, maybe even two decades now where there wasn't a major storm almost every year. And it's happening more frequently. We've had more named storms. We've had bigger storms. It's only going to increase. And so in terms of the hurricane perspective, I don't want to do this whole conversation just on hurricanes, but in terms of the hurricane perspective, 
I would prefer one thing from from you. Um, if you could just tell me when all the hurricanes are going to happen, where they're going to happen, so when I know when I can go vacation, that would be excellent. Outside of that, um, I, 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 what I, I really think is important for the field is to hear your side of the house. What do you? What are kind of your pain points with emergency managers? We're like, if you could like just take them by the shoulders and be like, learn this. I need you to learn yeah. it now, so I don't stop, can stop telling you. What What would those points be? You know, I, I think I think a lot of it was covered in, in that presentation. I mean, and and interesting, you look at the the names. I mean, we we ran out of names in 2020 and 2021, which is just staggering to run out of names two seasons in a row. The only time that's ever happened before that was 2005. Um, but one interesting part before I, before I answer that question is the fact that we're naming more. We have technology from satellites. We have uh, Hurricane Hunter. Uh, Doppler radar. We have all sorts of instrumentation on hurricane hunters. We're seeing stuff that we never saw before. So if you, it's really interesting that we're actually naming more. That's that's one factor that that's pretty interesting. The other one is, look, when it comes to to looking at you know uh, the the tropics and the risk and the threat, one of them is the little wiggles. So it relates because you can't, you know, it becomes dangerous to use a deterministic forecast. Remember our, you know, if you think about the average error out 24 hours is 30 miles when it comes to where that center is going to be of a tropical system. So it, it, from a meteorology standpoint, from a science standpoint, if we're, if we're 30 miles or less on, on, on the average error a day out, it's a good forecast. But here's the problem, the little wiggles. So if, if you can't look at any individual forecast and think of about it as, as deterministic, and here's an example, I've seen this over and over, and it's important to, to talk about in the emergency management community, because you'll you'll see a pretty picture, a pretty picture, a beautiful graphic doesn't necessarily indicate accuracy. Mm. Just because it's pretty doesn't make it right. In other words, you'll see. No, that's my wife. <laughs> so, I'm gonna keep going. So I think if uh, if if you look at you know a storm and think, well, wow, I see the line. I'm just outside the hurricane force winds. I'm going to base my preparedness and actions on that. Hmm. Wow. I'm just outside the foot of rainfall. Mm. I'm going to make my decisions upon that. You, you get where I'm going. So that's dangerous. And that goes back to my comment about probabilistic forecasting. We got to figure out a way to, to really get more probabilistic because if you make decisions as an emergency manager based on that fine line and that storm moves 20 or 30 miles, all of a sudden you got people in the water. All of a sudden, you got damage that 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 in your mind you're like, wow, I thought I was outside of that. I, I think that's one of the biggest things is we can't we can't cut those lines razor sharp. I, I'm, hopefully, I'm explaining that correctly because yeah, you are. Yeah, it's 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 dangerous, and I've seen this over and over and over. And I've seen us do the training ahead of time and talk about this issue, but I honestly have seen different behavior during the event. Isn't that interesting? Because it's the heat of the battle. It's stressful. There's a lot of pressure on these decisions. I just caution everybody. You got to be super, super careful. And that's inland rain, not just a tropical system. That's uh, tornado events. That's wow. There's a moderate risk, but my county is right outside that moderate risk. Well, hmm. remember little wiggles, right? So you can move things around a little bit. So you got to be super careful on those edges, especially cutting things, your, your preparedness, your actions, your planning, uh, razor sharp. 
Okay, uh, I'm going to call myself out here for a second because I, I know I've done that in the past. You know, GIS, right? I like clean lines. And um, it gets much better when you're talking about, honestly, like flood modeling because you can use topography and, you know, yeah, it, yeah. it is a little bit easier to get that razor thin. But in terms of the storm, using radius, I think that would be a, 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 a more likely scenario. That's probably what you're getting at. Hey, uh, make those edges a lot more soft. I like the idea of the term getting rid of the, the razor thin. We've done that so many times. We continue to do that. We need to get away from that. Um, great call out there. In terms of the national weather perspective, things are changing. Um, and I have been, I can't remember how many wildfires I've been to, probably not too many, but I think seven. Seven wildfires, may, may, and that includes the, um, the complex fire, fires. Um, in terms of record breakers, I've been to the California record breaker year after year. And I don't think you should break a record every year, right? You'd hope not to break a record every year. Weather is changing. So going back to kind of that, that original question, even if we don't want to be deterministic, are we able to, in our lifetime, using artificial intelligence to look at the globe and say, I know where the wind's going to go in six months. I know where I, I, I can have a, a much, under, much better understanding to, in order to mitigate. Do you think we'll be able to get to that point where we will be able to get to that point of like closer to, to, to fine lines? Yeah, you know, I, I think um, absolutely, because if you think about as, as the forecast accuracy increases, I mean, you, you can see us being able to, um, you know, being able to do that better than ever in the past. I mean, I look at, what was it, Hurricane Floyd, 1999, you know, you see a, 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 a track right off the, the east coast of Florida and up to the, the southeast U.S., and it was the, the largest evacuation in U.S. history at the time. I mean, it was just you know, it's just absolutely uh, what two and a half million people or so had to evacuate from that storm. And, and a lot of that because the forecast ac accuracy was less than it is today. And then you go to Hurricane Dorian, a very similar track uh, to Floyd, but there, there was a prevention of about three million people from evacuating. So we're seeing it. We're seeing, you know, capturing, you know, tornado tracks. We're seeing um, that um, all over the place with our, with our watches and warnings. But getting to your point, I think we, you know, getting further out in time is, is where we need to go. And we need to get more lead time and lead time is everything for an emergency manager. The more lead time I can give you, uh, the more time you have to put resources, the more time you have to think about evacuating or not evacuating, sheltering, the different types of shelters, all the things that you have to do to put uh, into place, these contracts, debris removal, everything. So I think that's one of it. But I think it's really interesting to look at some of these, these long-term predictions. And we have the Climate Prediction Center and you know in in the weather service and, and looking at the hurricane season um it just you look at the last few seasons just incredibly accurate seasonal forecasts you look at um you know the the tracks of 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 where the fires are going to be and, and really looking at a, a bad fire season based on la nina and el nino we're going to get uh you know all the rain those atmospheric rivers in the, in the western u.s i mean all that seems to be getting better when you look at that extended forecast so i think it's you know, you look at that extended forecast, we could put some plans together. You look at the future of AI and being able to, to, to look at patterns and, you know, artificial intelligence to, to really look at um, so many different parameters and, and observations to, to, to learn from each year. I think the, there's, there's room for growth. I think there's room for growth 
in, in more accurate forecasts further out in time. And the other part I want to make a pitch for real quick is important is we, we've got to get social science more into everything that we do. Because, you know, we, we always talk about forecast accuracy, but if, you know, you could have a perfect forecast if it's, if it's not understood and not actionable, it doesn't do any good. So, you know, we, we look at our products, you look at the graphics, you look at human behavior. Um, I think social science has to be a big part of not just what we do in the weather service, but you look at the emergency management community as well. The ultimate goal is to get people to understand the threat, the risk, and take action upon it. And if they don't, then there was something missing. So I think we need to admit those missing things and, and, and jump back and be able to fill those in with, with why and, and talk about it openly in, in our presentations and our exercises. And, and I think that's how we get better as well. It's, it's an interesting recurring theme from leadership. I've had uh, Pete Gaynor on here a few times, uh, former head of FEMA. And uh, he's talked about it. We've had a few other uh, leaders who talk about messaging and the need to change messaging. There is a common theme. Eddie Bertola now works at my company. He was uh, essentially the, he, it, in a quick sense for the podcast, he essentially reinvented Amber Alerts in 2018 um, at a CHP in California. And they have gotten, they have found missing children now down to an hour and 29 minutes on average. And he is a big, big fan of getting the fear out of messaging. And that is very different than how I entered the field when the common terminology of, for like getting out of storms, again, going back to hurricanes, is like write your social security number on your arm if you're not going to leave. A fear methodology to get people to start moving. And uh, I, I just think it's a fascinating um, thought that so many people in this line of industry saying, hey, we could probably do a lot more if we just look at the social science of, of this culture, anthropology, whatever you want to name it. And um, I, I think it, it, going to this podcast alone, this is a fa fairly new medium for people to communicate and to learn from. And yet you make the time to come on here and what a huge, uh, huge opportunity to reach a lot of people very quickly um, to start to change how, how they look at that. I have a question, and no one's ever answered this for me. Even the great doc, Dr. Mac, Mike Paddock, all the weather service stuff is always in all caps. Is that literally just to, like, less confusion? Or is, I always feel like someone's screaming at me. Um, <clears throat> what, what, is the, what is the history of all caps, and are we going to stay in all caps forever? No, all, all, I, I can answer the question. So what do you think yeah. of that? You, you can. Um, so the history, and I'm going to click on something here because I think most everything now has been converted where we can use the small letters. I just want to double check it. Look, the history there is teletype. So there was a day, there was a day when you sent everything out, you could only handle capital letters because uh, there was an issue associated with the teletype. You couldn't use big letters and little letters back in teletype when all this started. So um, that was one of the biggest, the biggest factors was was that and. And it's interesting because do you remember the, the forecast discussions were abbreviated? Remember, they're all coded. Used all, <laughs> remember that? And there's a history there, too. That was because of teletype, because it cost it cost money. It cost um, comms, uh, precious comms to be able to, to send out products. So you didn't want them that long. Isn't that interesting? So, you know, it was back. Um, 
you know, it must have been the late 90s and into the 2000s when it's like, well, you know what? We don't use teletype anymore. You can spell out stuff. So you notice discussions have been much easier to read um, over the years. And if you look at any discussion, there's probably not too many abbreviations in there, um, especially with the, the workforce just coming in. I would probably do it by accident a little bit just because of history. But I think a lot of the products now, I just clicked on some of the zone products, at least on the web, I see a lot of little letters. So we've made a conscious effort over the last uh, 10, 15 years to make sure that we can use big letters, little letters. And uh, back in the day, by the way, you couldn't use a comma. The teletype wouldn't um, wouldn't um, accept a comma. So even in my emails today, you ready? I'm going to make fun of myself. Even in my emails today, sometimes I'll do dot, dot, dot instead of a comma. Oh, I love the ellipses, man. I, I'm all about it. Um, I feel like it's, it adds dramatic effect, right? Um, yeah, that's the history. That's hilarious. So that's interesting. I actually didn't know that. So the um, w with the messaging, yeah, you actually brought up something that's been on my mind, too, is the, the, the rising generation, the way they communicate is so incredibly different. Yeah. It's like, hey, wildfire, you know, coming fam, no cap, LOL, don't get hurt, hashtag pain. I don't know. So it's like it's, it's like a, a, such a different way to communicate. And I have, I have small children. And uh, it, it's been fun to learn how they communicate for yeah. sure. Um, one of the things about weather is that I, I grew up with hearing, you know, I lived, I lived in Ohio, tornadoes were like obviously a thing. And the message would come up on the TV, you know, and now we've switched basically to your cell phone and using that. But there's, there's a, a a sticking point and it's not on the weather side honestly it's a competency on my side even to like i would say probably three weeks ago i was explaining to another emergency manager the difference between a watch and a warning and i think we need to as a field i'm going to call it my own field it's on weather sure weather has to put stuff out but you're the experts in your field if we want to understand what you're talking about it's on us to also educate ourselves and and come to the table it's not only on weather and uh, in terms of messaging i think we need to uh recognize that a little education would go a long way for sure yeah and, it, and we have this big program called hazard simplification so we're trying to we're trying you know you have watch you have warning you have statement you have advisory so we're yeah. we're, we're aware of that too so we're, we're trying to simple some of this. I remember a, a controversy back in the early 90s um, when we had uh, scattered showers and widely scattered showers and, and internally widely scattered was less than scattered, but we found out externally widely scattered was interpreted as more than scattered. See how complicated some of this stuff is? It's fascinating. So we are looking at it. We got some hazard simplification stuff, but I, I have another message related to what you just asked, you know, to emergency managers. And I I joke that 20% of emergency managers have my cell phone number. I, I know so many emergency managers across the country just value, respect emergency management so much. And many tell me, well, I don't do that social media stuff. Well, I, I, I get that, but you, you need to hire somebody that does because that's how people are getting information. I look, I, after hurricane Michael, I was on the ground uh, in the damage area in Mexico beach. And, and, a, and a lady was looking at, she lost her house. Everything was gone, her and her husband. And I'll never forget her looking at me going, I recognize you from Facebook. I recognize you. And I remember the message and she gave me a hug and both of us cried for my, my you know, 20, 30 seconds there right on the scene. And so that's the way it is. My, my mom gets information differently than I do. My kids, I got three daughters, they get information differently than I do. 
And honestly, you know, my kids, we got to think about this as a community. If you can't, I joke about this a little bit. If you can't get the message across in 30 seconds, maybe while we're riding a skateboard, holding a fuzzy cat, I don't know, but you better be able to find out how to get that information to that generation fast. That's how they get information. That's how they process information. We have to adapt to that. We have to adapt to these different generations of being able to figure that out. That's why we're so aggressive with the social media, not just the Hurricane Center, but the Weather Service. We're Facebook Lives. We're constantly doing um, social media in different ways and, and getting messages out. Um, all platforms, right? It's not just about one platform. It's about getting messages out in all platforms. So that's another message to the emergency management community is that's how people get information. We, we got to keep adapting. I love that. I love the idea of adapting as a, as a concept. I think emergency managers, they thrive. The best ones, they thrive on problem solving. And there is a problem to solve here. And uh, I like to tell people that you don't have to always come up with a new solution. You have to implement the solutions that people have already come up with. You just heard the director of the National Weather Service saying, use social media. It's effective. It's helped. The real world scenario of it helping. And so, uh, you know, when, when you're talking about that, uh, there's a lot of people are always afraid of social media because the, the funny thing is I've met a lot of people who emergency managers are afraid to put something out on Twitter or on Facebook, whatever, because they think the whole world will implode if they say the wrong thing or if they say too much or it's the wrong message. And then I look at their followers and I'm like, you have three followers. It's you, your director and your specialist. Yeah. Let's pump the brakes here a little bit. And I think there's there's some uh, there's a one called hubris. Maybe that's not the right word for it. But there's this there's this feeling of we know so much. And really, the, the impact is, is very little. You're talking about little wiggles. There's also little wiggles and, and little needle movements in what we do. And I think it's more about consistency and helping people out than these one, one shoot, we're going to do this one thing and we're never going to look at it again. Social media is all about consistency. You said another thing about the, the length of time. We were doing analytics on our social media posts and um, <clears throat> we found that uh, like Facebook and Instagram, they won't promote it if it's longer than six seconds. They want a video and they want it shorter than six seconds. For a field that uses really long words, it's like we have a training course coming up in August, Emergency Management Response for Dynamic Populations. That's the name of the training. And that took, what, five seconds just to say. And so we we do have to figure out the messaging thing and, and the and the platforms. But I also think it's it's kind of a call out to some of these platforms that we should work with them to say, hey, if the National Weather Service is coming out with a message or if it's an emergency notification, change your algorithm a little bit to be able to promote that stuff. And so just for, for getting people to see it, um, I, I think we need to do a little more outreach to those who are sharing our message, literally the platforms, let alone the people. So there's there's a lot of movement that can be done in that space for sure. Yeah, I, I just jumping in. I Look, we there's so many times we think about there's so much information out there. And I, a, a lot of the media interviews that I do, one of the questions usually comes up is how do you combat uh, false information? How do you, how do you, how do you make sure there's an authoritative voice? And here's how you do it. It's actually not hard. We, we all have to provide the, the right information aggressively. So if you think about, you know, you think about a forecast for, for a hurricane or, or a tornado event, 
And then we're, we're doing briefings, the impact-based decision support that the Weather Service does with emergency managers. And then that message gets amplified um, at the federal level, state level, local level, counties and parishes. And then you think about, we have calls with the media um, as well. I you know constantly doing television and radio interviews during a hurricane. Why? We're all on one page. So if you think about how to really focus information that's correct and authoritative, it's all of us being on the same page. It's all of us sharing that on our platforms, all of us saying the same thing in our news conferences, saying the same thing on social media, saying the same things in our, our news releases. If you think about that, um, that's how you combat all this different information. We're all on one page and it really does work. Every social science um, result you know, project that I've seen that looks at information, when there's multiple different conflicting pieces of information, people have a tendency to, to not make the wrong decision. They won't make a decision. They freeze up. So if we're all together, then you, you really get the decisions that, that really can save lives. Uh, I actually did not know that. Um, you, you've, been, you've been schooling me throughout this episode. Um, not only the conflict of messaging gets them to do nothing, gets them to do nothing is a, it's an interesting and fascinating, like that fight or flight, they just kind of get stuck yeah. in, oh, which way do I go? Yeah. And we've seen that in real world events. We've seen that with COVID. We've seen that with a lot of things. People just stuck they don't know what to do even when if the data is updated even if the the messages coming out from official sources that those are conflicting messages or there's multiple people uh feeling like they're the the authority and they all have the same message even if they all mean the same thing very uh very telling so in terms of a case study i mean covid was a fascinating case study for uh, social science and and messaging in terms of wrapping up here I'm going to leave you with uh, one funny question, and then I'll ask you a serious question. The funny question. Can you actually electrify the atmosphere to make it rain? Wow. Um, <laughs> not that I know of. I don't I think that would work very well. I live in the Midwest, and I'm not going to hamper on the Midwest. I love the Midwest. I can't even tell you how many people have told me that, well, what, you know, they're just electrifying the atmosphere in our area. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure they're not doing that. That's just wow. that's kind of funny. Um, okay, so the the serious question here is, uh, you know, we like to wrap up the show by having our guests provide advice to the the next generation of emergency managers. If you were going to provide advice and and you're just your general thoughts, what would that advice be? Yeah, multidiscipline. You know, be be an expert. You know, we talk about mapping. Be a you think about being a meteorologist and an emergency manager, be a, be a, you know, um, an oceanographer and an emergency manager, have multi-disciplines. It's incredible to be able to tie uh, both of them together. And so that's one of the big messages. The other one is, you know, if you think about um, increased risk, you think about the population growing, you, you think about risk with, uh, you know, a changing climate and all that, you're, you're going to, you're going to have a job. You've got some job security for many years to come. So my advice is we need you. We really need the next generation. We got some big challenges we're going to be faced with as the risk increases. We need amazing people like them to, to join to join the force, so to speak, and, and get involved with this and help us really look at some of these really tough decisions that we're going to have to make um, in the upcoming years. So go, be excited, be passionate, and because uh, we need you. Uh that's like a mic drop moment. So we're just going to take that clip and we're just going to share that on every episode from here on out. <laughs> um, seriously, what a, what a pleasure again to have you on the show 
and uh, to hear your perspective. Um, I've learned a lot. I've been doing this for a little while. I feel like I'm kind of an arrogant guy. I feel like I know a little bit, but uh, you know, you're you're answering complex questions. You're answering basic questions, and uh, that just shows how much more we need to learn about weather and the impacts of weather in our jobs. And so, again, thanks uh, for taking the time to come on the show. Yeah, hopefully we'll do it again too. Always things to talk about. So I just appreciate the opportunity to to talk to everybody today. Absolutely. So okay. So what we're gonna do from here on out, guys. If you're listening to this episode, you, you, you should have learned something. I learned something for sure. You got us to do this is a shameless plug. We do it every time. Give us that five-star rating and subscribe. Make sure you check out weather updates. Go to official sources, the National Weather, uh, weather Service.gov, NWS.gov. Start looking at that. Coordinate with your NOAA liaisons or your weather liaisons. Reach out to meteorologists. Get information. Get rid of the, the laser-thin lines. Uh, become adaptive, educate yourself, all these things, and message, public messaging, incredibly important, really great messages from this episode. What a great opportunity for us to learn. If you got something out of this episode, again, you should have, we want you to tell us what, what you learned through social media, right? We're talking about social media on this episode on the Disaster Tough podcast, whether what are, your platform of choice, right? We're everywhere. Put a comment down there saying, this is what I learned or this is what I, a question I have. Put it out to the community. The community will answer. We'll also tag the National Weather Service in our post. So they'll be able to see it and they can respond if they want to. But, you know, reach out. Reach out to the community. Learn something. Prepare for hurricanes. Prepare for wildfires. Prepare for, you know, all the weather events. Uh, hopefully, tornadoes go away. I hate tornadoes out of all the weather events. But we will have them. So prepare for those. And uh, we'll see you for next week. Yeah.